Hello and welcome to the Albion Obsessed podcast. It's just me and Joe today. So me and Joe are going to chat to you a little bit about what's been going on this week. We're going to chat a little bit about the Arsenal game midweek. We're also going to talk about the Villa game. And we're also going to talk about where we are in this mid-season break. Because I don't know if you know, Joe, but quite a lot has happened this season at Brighton and Hove Albion. Um, But before we dive into any of that nonsense, uh, Joe, how are you, my friend? Yes, mate. All good. Um, it's been a sports field weekend. Um, I've been watching the the Cricket World Cup. Congratulations to England. Um, I've been watching the Formula One. I've been watching the football. I've been playing football. Um, so, yeah, sports field weekend, so I couldn't be happier. The only thing that's a bit of a uh, rubbish is the result, obviously. But, yeah, that's by and by. Just be grateful you don't work surrounded by children who support Villa and who do not know how to be good winners um but yeah it's been a huh, been a fun day for me i tell you that um but a bit more about that in just a little while so joe let's start our little chat i suppose by just talking about the uh, arsenal game that happened midweek uh, we went to the emirates where we faced uh, top of the league arsenal admittedly both teams played their b teams uh, but we ran out 3-1 winners uh, what was your overall view of the game mate yeah, it was fantastic to see the the fringe players get a chance centre stage against a really well-drilled Arsenal side, whether it's their first or their second team. They're still a really good side and they've got some fantastic players coming through there. So, yeah, really happy for the, the, the players that got on the score sheet. Obviously, Danny Welbeck's first goal this season, Tarek Lamptey's first goal in, in a while. Um, and as we've mentioned before, Tarek Lamptey's pro- probably his best game uh, in in a while, we mentioned on the parlay that we did, Tom. So, yeah, really happy for them. Good to see in CISO. Uh, good to see Undav get some minutes, etc. And so, yeah, um, really positive stuff, Tom. Yeah, it really was, and I'm glad you you highlighted Lamptey there because at first I was a bit surprised to see him start at left back. Um, you know, almost playing that inverted fullback role. But he, as I say, I think he probably had his best game for us in about two years. Um, you know, he looked really sharp. He looked fantastic. Um, you know, I thought Cole Will had a really good game as well. Um, generally speaking, I thought it was just a really accomplished performance. Sarmiento looked excellent. Uh, Mitoma obviously came on and uh, and scored a fantastic goal that was made by Sarmiento, from what I can remember. Um, so, yeah, it was, a, it was a really positive game to come out 3-1 winners against Arsenal, regardless of, you know, whether it being their, you know, their B team or whatever, was still really positive. Um, for me um i was a bit surprised then joe that we didn't see potentially any of those names on the team sheet uh when the teams were announced yesterday especially considering mitoma and webster were absent i mean i say none of them i mean cole will obviously took the place of webster joe um but otherwise um you know we didn't seem to i mean personally i would have probably started tarot lamptey but that's just me uh, what did you make of the um the starting 11 yesterday yeah, I thought Tarek probably done enough to, to earn himself that, that starting spot, especially if Matoma was going to be out with with an illness. I'm sure we knew that before um, De Zerbi obviously arrived to the ground and I'm sure it wasn't a last-minute thing. And I, f- I feel like what we've seen is we thrive with a, a really quick player down the left uh, and with Trossard a little bit more central. Um, and I, I feel like Tarek could have provided that wh- whichever width that was on. Solly can play on the left as well. So I felt like we had quite a bit of versatility there if if needs be. 
gutted to see Matoma didn't start yesterday, um, and, and we we missed him big time. Um, uh, whether it's an, an illness thing um, going around the camp, I don't know. Whether it's an excuse to not play the game before the World Cup, um, I I don't know either. So it, it's all speculation. Who knows? Um, but yeah, gutted for Lampsy because I thought he showed really really good account of himself. Yeah, I mean to be fair with his, with his history of injuries, it might have been a you know conscious decision to to rest him. Um, I thought Veltman he he got through the Arsenal game. I don't think he was spectacular, but obviously he's been injured recently as well. Um, so I wasn't necessarily surprised to, to see him not start. But I would have perhaps started Sarmiento um, on the left and put Trossard in the middle, which has worked very well. Maybe um, you know Deserbi obviously saw enough from Danny Welbeck against Arsenal to to start him. Um, we'll talk a little bit more about Welbeck later, though, Joe, um, because for all this moaning that we've done about the starting eleven, it took us under a minute, 50 seconds to score a goal yesterday, which was the quickest goal we've ever scored in the Premier League. Um, so Martinez, um, you know, I'm going to start. Actually, I'm not going to talk about Martinez straight. I'm going to talk about the pressing, because in the first minute, Joe, our press was so high. We were putting them under pressure. We were closing down players, going man for man, which is what we've seen under De Zerbi quite a lot, which means that Martinez's options were very limited. So Martinez plays the ball out to um, one of the Villa players. McAllister closes him down really well, wins the ball, puts it in the back of the net. Under a minute, Joe. I bet the scenes at the Amex were mad. Yeah, a really fast start. Um, something that I believe it was McAllister after the game said that they've been working on in, in the week. They knew that Martinez only had those options to pass to and and the press is what we've seen really, really well drilled uh, from, from the Albion side since De Zerbi's come in and it's worked really effectively for us and, and got us a, another goal. So it's really promising stuff to, to start that quickly, to get the fans on your side. I know De Zerbi's very much about as soon as you've got the fans on your side, then you've got a 12th man and then you can push on. And um, I'm just really disappointed that we didn't push on after that because I feel like, you know, you you, you shake Aston Villa, you're at home, um, you you put them on on tender hooks and then and then you just carry on attacking them, carry on with the intensity that, that we know we have. Um, but a really good goal for, for McAllister to get against his Argentinian teammate. So I'm sure they'll be talking about that in the camp uh, during the World Cup. Yeah, it was a, it was a fantastic start. Um, I don't necessarily believe in the sort of the plaudit or the, um, you know, the saying about, oh, it's dangerous to score early because I don't think it is. It's just about how your attitude, you know, how you see the rest of the game out and what you intend to do that now you've got a goal up within the first minute. Um, I don't think that it was scoring that early that sort of hampered us yesterday. I thought the thing that really turned the game on its head happened in the fifth minute where Adam Lallana, Joe, was taken off due to what is suspected to be a hamstring injury. Um, he was replaced by Julio and Ciso. Um, but Joe, the change, it, it didn't really work, did it? No. Um, and Deserbi will learn from that and hindsight is a wonderful thing Julio and Ciso could come on and, and score a brace and then we're celebrating and applauding Deserbi for being a tactical genius um, I, I don't blame Deserbi at all I think he's just making making the change in the spur of the moment and he thought that was the right decision and we've seen Deserbi take credit or not take credit but um, sort of take the blame uh, for tactical decisions uh, in his post-match um, pre- press conferences um in the past so i'm sure 
he's going to be kicking himself for that one. Really gutted for Lalana. I feel like he's been in the form of his life of late. Probably the best form we've we've seen from him since he's been at the club. Um, and yeah, as soon as I saw it, it was Lalana down. Um, yeah, you know he's coming off because his his hamstrings are made of uh, the 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 weakest type of elastic you could find. Um, so yeah, gut fit. I really hope it's not that long out. Obviously, we've got the break now, uh, so hopefully that's come at the best time for him, and then we can kick on uh, after uh, the the players are all back. Yeah, hope so. Let's hope that um, that injury doesn't um, take the liner up for too long because I, I can't I can't stress enough how important I think he is to the team. You know, I think him playing further forward in that like number 10 role is exactly where he excels because he's got, so he might not have the speed of, of body and of movement, but he's got such a quick mind. He's such a tactically astute player. And I think that we, we saw perhaps what it looks like when someone who doesn't have that experience or that now to sort of come in and you know, manage the game better when Nsuso came on. We saw that. Um, Joe, I mean, and hindsight is a wonderful thing, but what player do you think should have been brought on instead of Julio Nsuso? I feel like it should have been. I, I've been doing a lot of thinking um, since we've been chatting about it in the, in the group chat and it's been all over Twitter. I think um probably would have been best for Veltman to come on um and for for Pascal to to move into that Lalana role um I feel like Pascal did really well when we changed to a 3 at the back and and he moved a, a little bit more forwards and he was creating as, as he always does when he's playing in those advanced roles he thrives there um so yeah I'm not not overly sure why that didn't happen early on um maybe it's just Deserby trusting in his system or trusting that Gross could do a job um or maybe Veltman isn't a hundred percent there to, to be playing as long, you know, it would have been considering how much added time there was, which we'll talk about, it would have been nearly 90 minutes of football that Veltman would have had to play. So it's just about managing those players that played in the week or or haven't been playing as much football as, as they would like to. Um and yeah, as we said, hindsight's a wonderful thing and it's it's not paid off this time. No, not this time. But as you say, I mean, it could have all been very different if Julio and Ciso comes on and he, you know, he gets an assist or a goal. Then obviously it's very different. Um, you know, for my money, I would have probably pushed uh, Gross into the ten role, and I would have probably put Lamptey on after his performance, or um, I would have put Villa Gilmore on. I thought he looked really good against Arsenal. I think he's a really tidy player, and I'd like to see a lot more of him. Um, so, I mean, as you say, it's it's all hindsight and it's all well and good. Us saying, oh, yeah, you should have brought on Billy Gilmore. But actually, you know, he made the sub that he thought would would have impacted the game. Um, and obviously, Deserby hasn't got a magic crystal ball that he can shake and say, what will happen if this, you know, if I bring on Julio and CISO? But I don't think CISO really impacted the game at all. I don't think he really had much of an impact. But then again, I don't think Danny Welbeck had much of an impact either. bit more on him a bit later. So the day Joe was unfortunately marred with a myriad of, I'm just going to say it, absolutely terrible officiating decisions um, and a terrible officiating in general. Um, and the first one that we're going to talk about um, is the Aston Villa penalty. Now, Villa had a lot of success with long balls yesterday, which is exactly how they beat us last season, long ball over the top. Um, we didn't seem to have learned from that um, because it didn't take very long for them to catch us out. Um, McGinn is running through on goal. Lewis Dunk slides in. 
McGinn goes down and a penalty is given. Now, Joe, I'm going to share with you my thoughts on this penalty in a little moment, but I'd like to, you to tell us whether you thought it was a deserved penalty. I'll go off of how I felt in the stadium when it happened. Um, I looked away and I thought Lewis Dunk was going to get sent off, to be honest. Um, it was one of those where, like, um, as we've done before, uh, we started recording, Tom, I was watching the highlights because I haven't watched the highlights yet. And I, I was having to slow YouTube down to its slowest frame rate and, and keep pressing pause and pause and pause and pause to see whether there was any contact between Dunk and McGinn. Um, what you do see from the, the slowed down replays is that McGinn, uh, his legs have given away already. And when he falls on Dunk, that's when the contact is made. I don't know if there's contact made prior to that because Dunk's body's in the way. So in terms of VAR getting involved, I think they've done the right thing and they've stuck with the referee's on-field decision because it's not clear and obvious error. We spoke about clear and obvious in the prior podcast or maybe a podcast before that. Um, so I think VAR's done the right thing and stuck with the, the referee's on-field decision. You can slow it down as much as you like. You can ha you can say oh how much context is there? I think Dunk dives in. He gives the referee a decision to make, um, and unfortunately, it's gone against us. Whether that be McGinn causing the contact um, or or vice versa, um, but again, I don't think it's clear and obvious. So, fair play to VAR on that one, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because it's all about perceptions. I mean, Lewis Dunk, I think I, I saw in an interview afterwards, well, with Solly March, um, Lewis Dunk was adamant that he did not touch McGinn. And, you know, from what it's worth, in my opinion, McGinn is already going down before contact is made. And for me, that should be enough for VAR to say, ref, you need to go and look at the monitor. Because in our opinion, McGinn is already starting to fall before contact is made. But at full speed, Tom, on the pitch, like this sounds like I'm defending Aston Villa and defending VAR, um, but I've got a lot of things to say about VAR later. Um, at full speed, you can't say to the referee, that's a clear and obvious error that you've made because not, not even the, the greatest referee in the world at full speed can see when the con... Like, it's a split-second stuff. Um, and that's why I think on this occasion, VAR have made the right decision. Because oh, yeah, no, there's, gone there's off no of... arguments here. I mean, Lewis Dunk, he's he's slid in and he's he's and McGinn's gone down. And, you know, it's it, Lewis Dunk's given the ref no option. And I think just regarding the red card thing, I think it is it the double jeopardy rule. So if you give away a penalty, um, they don't always give a red card because of the, I say the double jeopardy is either a red card or a penalty. Um, I think that's a thing. Let us know in the comments down below, but I don't want to think I've just imagined that. But again, then what's the point in VAR? Because VAR should surely be there to say, well, actually, no. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying it, just generally speaking, because for me, as I say, McGinn's already fallen down. He's looking for contact. So for me, that brings the foul into disrepute. And yeah. therefore, maybe it's it is not as clear and obvious as but it they, was. In but they can't make a, a sure decision. That's where I think VAR have, have been correct in this: is they can't make a sure decision because when I watch the replay back and the first angle, Lewis Dunk's body is in the way of where his leg is in with reference to McGinn's leg. 
so you don't know if there's been contact there. In the second angle, you can't actually see if their legs are touching. Their legs are overlapping, but you can't see if their legs are touching. Um, so that's why I think VAR have probably said, we can't come to a conclusion here because for one, we can't see it. And two, the, the second angle doesn't show much. And if the second angle shows anything, it's that Dunk has touched McGinn and there is contact there. So, yeah, um, it's, it's just they, they've probably gone to the ref. OK, we're sticking with your on-field decision because we can't see anything. And I couldn't see anything when I looked at the replay. Um, but Dunk's diving in. As we said, you, you give them a, a chance to make that decision. That decision will always go against you. Yeah, I mean, as I say, Lewis Dunk's given you know, the ref no choice, really. And as you say, perhaps maybe that's a bit unfair. Maybe I'm looking at it through more of a rugby lens because I know that in rugby, for instance, if a rugby player goes to put the ball down and if there's any inclination that there is not force on the ball or whatever, there is a very much a case of you need to have a look at this and see what you think. Because, as I say, for me, McGinn's already going down. The contact happens because McGinn is falling down, not because he stays on his feet. And therefore, for me, that's just a bit dubious. But Yeah, I've, I've got no arguments with the fact that McGinn's already going down. But I think the, the, the fact and the way that Dunk dives in at full speed, that is cause for concern. And as I was in the stadium, I was like, yeah, that's a penalty. That's that's done. <laughs> Talking, of course, for the concern, Joe, Lewis Dunk has now given away three penalties in five games. Not a great stat, mate. Not a great stat. No, it's not. Um, it's a lack of um, maturity, I guess, from, from, from Dunkey that we've seen. A lack of discipline. Um, it almost feels like Dunkey from, you know, early Amex era. In a way, yeah, a, a little bit. I I feel like maybe it's something that Deserbi has said to him is you know chuck your body at everything and 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 just try and win the ball at all costs. Um, yeah, I'd I'd like to see him stamp that out because it it is a massive cause for concern. Um, I think the Wolves one, yeah, it's it's silly that he, he sticks his arm up there and and you've you've said your your piece on that, um, but. Yeah, it's 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 not a good look. Um, and we we speak about Dunk in such a high high regard on this podcast, and I absolutely adore him. He's he's probably the the best captain that this football club's ever seen, um, in in the modern era uh, especially. So, um, I I feel like we have to give him um the the criticism where 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 necessary. And we talk about an England call up, and those are the the little things that that can sway a decision. I know people say no, it's only because it's Southgate, but it's it's those little things. You you can't have that in a in a World Cup quarter final. Um, that that rashness of he he's a liability. He's going to give away a penalty. So maybe that's uh, a, a played a part in what Gareth Southgate's thinking. I don't know, but yeah, it's it's something that I'd like to see Dunkey just stamp out of his game. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, so moving on then, uh, Villa obviously convert the penalty and the score is at 1-1. Um, Brighton didn't really threaten too much uh, for the rest of the half, apart from one moment, Joe. Um, we had um, so many corners yesterday, so, so many. And it is very telling that the closest we came from scoring from a corner not wasn't because of Levi Colwell, uh, who headed a free header over the bar of the second half. It wasn't for Lewis Dunk, wasn't for Danny Welbeck, all people that you'd think, you know, be, might be quite good in the air. It came from the fact that Pascal Gross almost scored directly from a corner. Joe, are we ever going to score from a corner ever again? Uh, only if 
a team is as nice as Chelsea to us and scores it for us? Probably not. Um, but yeah, it's it's frustrating when you're seeing these really good opportunities just go to waste. Um, Solly hit the first man countless number of times yesterday from a corner. Um, it's just unbelievably frustrating. I had a lot of people around me getting very irate at the fact that we just couldn't seem to get the ball into the mixer. And as you say, we've got Colwell, we've got Dunk, we've got uh, Danny Welbeck, who who are all capable in the air. We know that we've seen it. Uh, except for Colwell, obviously. Um, but yeah, Pascal Gross directly from a corner, probably just thought, sod this, I'm going to try it myself. Um, and it almost paid off. Um, it was one of those in, in the ground where you just see the corner come in and because um, it was at the south end. Um, so we don't actually know what's going on. We just go, <laughs> oh my God, what's what's happened? And then it's cleared. And um, yeah, I, I saw it on the replay um, just now though. So um, yeah, a bit frustrating that didn't creep its way in yeah it would have been one hell of a goal one hell of a goal um but yeah again it's a bit frustrating that we had so many corners but we just we either hit the first man or they just they just came to nothing and it was a it was a i think it was just well part and parcel of the very disappointing performance we saw yesterday um so i mean apart from that it was a pretty uh not much really happened going forward for brighton for the rest of the game um, unfortunately, but that didn't stop another goal occurring uh, in the second half. Villa went very close. One of their players, I uh, name escapes me, um, hit the post with a header, and then we uh, we saw Joe what can happen when you play around the back. Uh, March plays it into I can't remember who March plays it into, but then they the ball finds its way to McAllister. McAllister gets pickpocketed. Needs to be stronger for me. Needs to be stronger. Um, and then Lewis Dunk dives in again when he didn't need to. And then the shot from Ings eventually hits Colwell. And uh, who when the ball goes past a wrong-footed Sanchez, Joe was just a bit of a you know comedy of errors at the back from Brighton yesterday. Yeah, and you're, you're going to unfortunately see this um, in the style of play that we have adopted through De Zerbi. Very much risk versus reward stuff. Um and yeah, McAllister has to do better. <clears throat> Maybe the communication in the team needs to be better. Whether he got a call that man on, I don't know. Um, he just seemed a little bit shocked that, oh my God, suddenly there's an Aston Villa player there. The ball's gone. And before we know it, it's it's rolling past Sanchez. Um, we didn't have a, a, an amazing view of it in the stadium. All we saw was like McAllister lose the ball and then suddenly the Villa fans are, are celebrating. So um, you're really frustrating to, to watch that back and, and just to see how cheaply we did give that ball away um, and eventually giving a goal away so cheaply. And uh, yeah, Dunkey has to stand up. Dunkey has to persevere and, and see whether, you know, just, just a little bit more patience, a tiny bit more patience. And then Ings doesn't have the, the space to get the shot away or maybe Dunk recovers and, and clears it off the line. I don't know. Um, but yeah, just a really frustrating goal to concede. Yeah, it was really frustrating to watch and, you know, it's frustrating to watch back because you just sort of think, you know, there were so many opportunities where we could have done things differently, done things better. Um, and then we wouldn't have um, ultimately conceded a goal. And Joe, that was pretty much it for the rest of the game, because after that, Villa just stuck the majority of their team behind the ball, fell over up every opportunity, clutched their head at every opportunity. And I'm going to say it, Joe, it was some of the most disgusting examples of time wasting i've ever seen and 
this is going to now be linked back to the referee and some of the, one of the worst officiating performances I've ever seen because Chris Kavanagh just let it happen. It wasn't until the last, well, around injury time that he started booking Villa players. But for a good 25 minutes before the 90th minute, so even before we got into extra time, Villa players were going down at every opportunity. There was a point where Matty Cash barely got brushed and he falls over clutching his head. But because of the head injury protocol, the game has to be stopped. And Martinez did it as well. Martinez caught a ball and then went down saying he was injured. And we gave the ball back. Are we too nice, Joe? Are we just too nice? We've spoken about this a lot, haven't we? Um, we spoke about it with Matoma and the, the stick he got for to, for waving the imaginary card at Wolves. Um, I think we are. Um, I actually don't think it was Tarek Lamptey's intention to give the ball back, but he's thrown it to Trossard, which is a, a forward-thinking um, throw, and then Trossard's made the decision to, to give the ball back and... Yeah, that was really frustrating that the the crowd made their feelings known very much so of singing, don't give it back. <laughs> um, but look, Aston Villa, eight yellow cards, Tom. Eight. There was a point at the end where seven of their players on the pitch, so obviously one of them had been substituted, seven of their players on the pitch had a, a, a yellow card. The The referee lost all control of that game completely. The fans were irate at one point, And this is when Deserbi got booked. The referee was literally stood there in the center circle or close to the center circle, watching all of Aston Villa's antics happen and just letting it happen. And Deserbi absolutely correct in what he was saying, irately pointing at the referee saying, are you asleep? You have to be asleep. You are, Where are you? Where are the officials? It's just absolutely disgraceful. And when we need the officials most, not saying that I want the officials to win us a game or get us a point, but they do absolutely nothing about it. And it's like, I, I just don't, yeah, lost all control. Um, and we were never going to win that game with, with how Aston Villa were, were acting. It's it's just dis- disgraceful football, um, disgraceful antics, whether that's something that Emery's going to bring to them, good luck to the rest of the teams playing them because it's horrible to watch. Um, and yeah. their fans, I feel sorry for their fans because they're going to watch 90 minutes of their players rolling around because they can't be asked to play a game of football. I guarantee you Aston Villa probably only played about 40 minutes worth of football yesterday. Not even that. Yeah, it was a pretty, I'm going to use the word again, it was, a, it was a disgraceful performance from Villa in the last 25, 30 minutes. And I actually had, you know, some, I work with a lot of Villa fans um, and, you know, a lot of them normally, you know, you get the bit of the, the bragging rights, you know, in the past where Villa have beaten Brighton and you've had a bit of a, uh, but yesterday, today, sorry. Um, yeah, very few of them would look me in the eye in regards to that result because they knew they got away with one. They knew they did. It was a terrible officiating performance. Uh, Chris Kavanagh had no control on that game. And it it frustrates me to no end, Joe, because where is the accountability? Where is the accountability? A manager who criticises a referee will get fined, you know, 
but referees can continue to have terrible performances where they're not held to account. Nothing is done about it. So it's no wonder, I mean, we've said it so many times on this podcast, it's no wonder why British referees never find themselves in major tournaments because they're simply not good enough. And I, I, I adored Deserby's comments afterwards um, of, I have one opinion and one opinion only. And I'm not gonna tell. I'm not gonna tell you because, yeah, he knows. He knows he he will get punished, and um, for he's already been punished. Got the yellow card. I'm sure he has to pay some sort of fine for that. Um, but yeah, um, it's just ridiculous. And as you say, accountability. There, there's none of it. You, you know, well, get, give the referees a, a full time interview. See what they have to say for themselves, because I, I guarantee they go back into their little box room that they're given. And think, thank God for that. I've I've, I've done it. I'm sent. I'm center of attention again. That they all learn off of Mike Dean. They all want to run the show. They all want to run the game. They all want to go home and and see their names in in the headlines or in in the match reports. The referee should be invisible. That's a good refereeing performance. Invisible. Yep. Very well put, mate. Um, Chris Kavanagh. Terrible terrible performance but we haven't even talked about Luca Dina absolutely kicking Solly March's leg off um which apparently is fine um so let's talk about it so um Luca Dina he's in possession and then I think what a heavy touch uh, and Solly March nips in to get the ball and Luca Dina swings his leg and it basically just kicks March's leg now Joe anywhere else on the pitch that's a foul uh why wasn't it why was that not a penalty See, see previous discussion. Um, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, um, I, I don't know why that wasn't a penalty, Tom. It's it's clear as day that, that every fan in the stadium saw it. The linesman was closer. He should have seen it easily. What I've been told um, by other fans or, you know, um, especially one big six fan is Solly March shouldn't be going in like that. Solly March shouldn't dive in. I'm sorry, you're not diving in. Solly March has seen the opportunity to nick the ball away from Dina because his touch is dog shit. And then he gets the ball, he touches the bloody ball, and Dina swipes his leg away. Yeah, Dina's already going to kick the ball, but I'm sorry, Dina's got a mind. He can see that Solly March's leg is there, so he can stop the motion of kicking. How, how simple is it? He's kicked March's leg. March has touched the ball away from Dina. It's a bloody penalty. I don't understand how VAR haven't intervened there. That 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 is clear and obvious. He kicks his leg away, Tom. I know you've got a lot of choice words to say about this, so I'm going to pass the stage to you before I blow my lid because I'm just furious about it. Let me blow my lid instead. Sorry for the swearing. It was fucking disgraceful. <laughs> it was I I oh, VAR is there to get these decisions right. How is it possible what we're three, four years in? Maybe, maybe not at that much, but we're a good couple of years in now. You'd think they'd be fucking competent. It's just I I I cannot believe that someone looked at that, watched it happen, and went, yeah, that's fine. That was more of a penalty than theirs. 
because at least on ours you could argue at least on like dunk you could argue that you know mcginn has already sort of not i tried to argue mcginn's already going down luca dinia kicks solly march's leg that is a foul the fact that it's in the box should not should not matter it was a penalty brighton did not deserve to win yesterday they didn't they did not play well enough but they were fucking robbed of the opportunity to at least salvage a draw because of incompetent officials, because of people who don't have a fucking clue how to do their job, who are under no accountability whatsoever. And I'm sorry for swearing, but that's just how cross I am. And maybe I'm more cross because, as I say, guys, I work with children. The adults in my workplace, they're very good at saying, oh, we got away with one there. But the kids, not so much. So I've had to put up with Mr. Budgeon, what's the score? What's the score? Mr. B, what's the score? That all day. So <laughs> there's a there's a sense of like frustration there. But, you know, it's just I, I you should not you should not walk away from a football pitch feeling that you've been robbed of anything because of officials. You know, Villa Villa were terrible in their time wasting. They were awful. They were unprofessional. And Chris Kavanagh allowed that to happen. We were denied a stonewall penalty that, again, even my Villa supporting adult, you know, the people that I work with, the adults, have all said should have been a penalty. Got away with one there. So even Villa fans acknowledge they got away with one. Jamie Carragher was absolutely nonplussed when we weren't given a penalty yesterday on Sky Sports. Absolutely couldn't believe it. That it, And again, Joe, it's just how many times have we said this? Why aren't they mic'd up? Why can we not hear what they say? What are they afraid of? It happens in rugby. When you watch the rugby on the TV, you can hear the video assistant referee. You can hear the on-field referee. You can hear them and they can justify their decisions. You might not always agree with them, but at least you can hear why they feel that the way they feel. What are they afraid of? What are they afraid of? It's it's clear. It's clear, isn't it? I'm I'm sure there's been conversations where between them when they've gone, do you know what, Chris? I I, I really don't know. And he's gone, do you know what? Ne- neither do I. Oh, what should we do? Or what are you having for dinner later, mate? Um, yeah. Oh, I tell you what. I'll, I'll meet you down the pub later, and we'll, we'll go for a quick one, and then we can discuss whether we got this right. Also, how's your wife? I haven't spoken to her in a while. That's why the bloody VAR decisions take five bloody minutes. What like what, what in a world where a, an offside call is judged by literal millimeters, like less than millimeters, millimeters, where, and then you also got to take into account the, you know, the percentage of inaccuracy that you will always get with like using that technology because there's always going to be exactly. a, an error margin. So, and we're how, talking millimeters how, of that. <laughs> Do you know what? What there should be is some kind. If we if we live in a world of technology, some technology on the players' shin pads or on their boots that tells the referee, yes, he has kicked Solly March's leg because they cl- clearly can't see it. Maybe Solly March has to show him the kick mark. I don't know how. How do we get that penalty? Because it's a clear penalty. Um, but yeah, he was just honestly I mean, <laughs> so. We didn't deserve to win. I'm going to, you know, no. I'm going to say again, we didn't deserve to win. We just didn't play well enough. Um, you know, Trossar, Anonymous, Welbeck, you know, we didn't really do anything in CISO, got subbed off. Um, we just didn't, we didn't play well enough. We only started to look decent again 
after the first five minutes when Lamptey came on. But by then it was too late. And that's not, I'm not blaming Deserby, but because the referee allowed all the time wasting and all the fake, you know, feigning of injuries, you know, because that was allowed to continue, you know, how was Lamptey supposed to impact that game? But we were robbed of the opportunity to at least have a penalty that we could hopefully score and we could have walked away with a point. But, you know, that's happened because of incompetence and people that aren't held accountable. We didn't deserve to win the game, but we bloody didn't deserve to lose it. Yeah, Villa didn't o- other, No, other than Villa's goals, what did what did they do? They they just rolled around for 60, 70 minutes and played minuscule football. It just came to frustrate us. Um so yeah, fair play. Well done. You done your done done your bloody game plan and now fuck off back to the Midlands. Sorry, Tom. It's all right, I'm not offended. Um but yeah, it was just uh but I think the you know it just it was such a frustrating game to watch from you know the perspective of Villa, watching what they were doing and just the poor officiating, as we've said numerous times. Um but hey ho. If only there was some video sort of a system where you could watch it back and go, oh, yeah, that, that looks a bit dodgy. Uh, if only. Eh? Yeah, that would be nice. I, you know, I, I'm sure there's something in the works. I'm sure. I hear that um, they do quite well in rugby. Maybe they could just borrow what rugby do and do it the same to the same quality. That'd be nice. One word, Tom. One word. Clarity. That is all football fans want. Clarity. Yeah. They certainly do. Um, I'm not going to ask you for your man of the match, Joe, simply because I don't think there were many performances that were worthy. But, you know, I thought, for what it's worth, I thought Levi Colwell looked pretty decent, probably one of do our you know best what? players. I'll give it to Adam Lalana. Wow. <laughs> as soon as he came off. <laughs> it no, it's true, though. Shit. It's amazing. But, you know, people you know, slate him so much on social media and whatever, but it was him coming off the pitch that for me at least changed the dynamic of the game. It didn't, it didn't lose us the game, but it changed the dynamic. And it's we just certainly not going to Chris Kavanagh. Oh God, no. The, the less we see of him, the better. So Joe, we've, um, that I was actually went on for a bit longer than uh, I thought it would. Turns out that uh, I had a lot of rage pent up uh, for <laughs> Mr. Kavanagh and VAR, but um, let's use the remainder of the time then Joe, because we've, we've gone into the break now um, for the world cup. Um, and we find ourselves in seventh place in the Premier League. Not bad, Joe, considering what's happened. Actually, one thing I will say um, before we start chatting about that, because it's just jogged my memory. It, in regards to losing to Villa and giving Villa their first away win of the season, it was the most Brighton thing ever, because that's what we do. I think it's what, just what we do. Spurs, they hadn't scored an, a, a goal from open play for like two months. So they rock up to us. They score. Uh, we went to Wolves, who hadn't who had scored three times at home all season. They scored two against us, and then we we played Villa, who hadn't won away all season. And uh, yeah, so it was just a very Brighton-y thing to have happened. Um, but back to what we, I was just saying, uh, it's been a bit of an up and down season, Joe. We've had roller coaster of emotions um, because of a lot of things happening. When when Graham Potter handed in his resignation and left. Uh, for Chelsea did you honestly think that we'd get to Christmas and find ourselves seventh no I thought we were going to struggle um and that's not discrediting De Zerbi. that's not discrediting the players 
but I thought it was going to take a lot more of a mental impact on the players than what I thought it has done. It's gone in the opposite direction. They, they look to be more fired up for things and, and to prove a point, which we saw obviously at uh, the, the Chelsea game, which was mind-blowing and, and is going to go down as one of the best football games I've ever been at. Um, and we live long in the memory and, and credit to the players for, for giving the fans that much... Um, uh, that much, uh, what's the word? Fire, that much passion to, to show that actually, no, our, our football club is still our football club. Um, and no matter what you take from us, no matter how much money you throw at us, we, we're always we're always going to gonna be here. As I said, you, you can buy our players, you can buy our manager, you can buy our back from staff, but you should never buy our soul. And and Brighton and Albion will always have its soul. We, we've, we've been... <laughs> through the, the darkest of times possible. And yet, here we are, seventh in the Premier League, Tom. And it's been, as you say, a roller coaster. Amazing start to the season at Old Trafford. Um, obviously, I know United were in a bit of a transition period with Eric Ten Hag. Um, but what a way to, to get your first win. Um, and it's just been, yeah, it's just been great. Um, and what an appointment from the club. Um, to to get Roberto De Zerbi in, to get his staff in, to to give him that chance of of managing a club and, and feeling at home again. There's just so much positivity that's come from a, at at the time what we felt was the end of our Premier League um, era, essentially. Um, so massive credit to the club there. Um, but to answer your question, Tom, that was a very elongated answer. I did not think we would be here going into the winter break. I'm going to call it the winter break because fuck the World Cup. Agreed, agreed. Um, yeah, it was. It's been a bit of a mad one, isn't it? I think um, you'd be forgiven if, after the departure of um, Glow Up Graham, that um, you'd be forgiven if you sort of thought, well, we're going to struggle this year, and we still, to be fair, we still might do. Um, because obviously the Premier League, nothing is set in stone. We've still got a lot of football to play. We are obviously closer to safety um, at this point than we've perhaps ever been before um, going into the Christmas break. Um, so, you know, there's a lot to be positive about. I think um, I'm really quite excited about the January transfer window. I know we don't normally do a lot of business in January, but I think because we've got Roberto in, I think that, you know, Tony Bloom will want to strengthen the squad. He'll want to give Roberto players that he feels suit his style of play. Um, so I'm hopeful that we might see maybe one or two um, in. May see a few out. Uh, Dennis Undav, lots of question marks about him at the moment, whether he'll still be around. Um, people on our group chat likening him to Jurgen Lacardia. I think it's that bad. But, um, you know, there's a lot of question marks still about him. Um, could the likes of Julio and Ciso do with a, a loan to the championship, uh, which will probably be good for for building his, you know, his body strength, because obviously it's a very competitive league, probably more competitive that he's ever um, physically speaking than he's used to. Um, so I think it's we've got a, a remainder of the season that's still really exciting, chock full of... Um, uh, you know, possibilities. I don't think Europe will happen this year, if I'm being honest. Um, I think another top 10 finish would would be progress if you think about the things that have happened. You know, um, you know, there wasn't that long ago that we thought, as you say, Joe, that the world, the Brighton and Have Albion world was almost ending because the brightest manager we had had in a long, 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 long time um, had left. 
Um, but we've taken that transition really well. Um, I think we deserve to have more points on the board than we've necessarily got. Um, if you think about how much we battered Newcastle, we only came away with a point. Um, you know, we deserved a point yesterday that we didn't get. Um, arguably deserved, could have deserved or had something out of the Man City game. I'm just putting it out there because I think we probably could, you know, Liverpool, could we have won that? So there's a lot of similarities between this season and last season and, and all the other seasons really where we can sit here in seventh and almost feel like we haven't got our just rewards, which in many ways fills me with a lot of excitement because it makes me feel like we can go on and still achieve great things in this league, even if we don't have the biggest of budgets. So, you know, to, to, to wrap up my long winded rambling, um, if you had said to me seventh at Christmas at the beginning of the season, even with Graham still in charge, I would have taken it to, to, to have offered that when Graham left, I would have bitten your hand off and given you a hundred pounds because I wouldn't, I, I genuinely thought it would take longer than it has for Roberto De Zerbi to implement his style of football. Um, and I generally thought we'd probably slide down more towards the, the lower mid table of things. Um, Obviously, really glad that I was proven wrong there. Um, but we've got a really exciting season to look forward to, Joe. Um, so let's hope that uh, that things continue and we can come back after the the break um, and keep going, keep keep putting in good performances and maybe getting a, more, a few more of our just rewards. Yeah, exactly that. And and there, there's a difference there, Tom. You say about those fine margins in the Premier League, which uh, an ex-manager spoke about all the time. Um, but but he, he's right that there are always such fine margins in the Premier League. And if, if we had have beaten Forest, if we had beaten Newcastle, um, if we'd scored more goals to, to bump up our, our goal difference, um, then we could be talking completely differently and, and looking ahead to a, a dream season and getting into Europe still a chance of getting into Europe if we progress in the cup, which um, I've made my feelings known about the, the uh, energy drink cup um, and not being able to get excited for it. But given the Arsenal performance, then I, I'm on the bandwagon hundred um, percent. But we, we have to focus on the league. And um, as you say, Tom, a, another top 10 finish would, would be a dream. Um, and what, what a way for Deserby to, enter the Premier League and, and getting in the, the top 10 places in, in the, the best league in the world after what he's been through. Um, I, I couldn't ask for any more. He's, he's such a fantastic man. Um, you know, he's taken to this country and this culture like a duck to water. He's learning the language every single day. He, he, didn't have his assistant with him for for the language. Um, uh, the last couple of uh, post match interviews, whether he stood off to the side, I don't know. Um, but that just goes to prove how much this man wants to learn and how much he wants to improve. If he wants to improve himself like that, how does he want to improve his players? And that's really exciting. Um, and yeah, there's a lot of talk about January, as you say. Will Trossard remain at the club? Will Caicedo well, remain at the club. He only turns up against big six sides, so uh... <laughs> he does. He does. Um, you know. So yeah. But yesterday, I, I, I did. I was semi thinking, like, all right, if if Trossard was to go, would it be the end of the world? Probably not. But we need a very strong January transfer window to to make me actually think that. 
because you can't let Trossard go and and not replace him because it it's very clear to see how what he's given us this season. I'm not taking that away from him at all. He's our top scorer. He's two away from becoming our all time top flight uh, goal scorer as well. Um, so yeah, let's see, let's see where January takes us. Let's indeed. That's still. It feels mad that we're we're not really. You know, that's it now. It's still November, but we're not going to really. You know, by the time we talk about our next post-match game, it's going to be late December. So that's uh, that's mad, isn't it? Absolutely mad. Yeah, I don't like it. Um, I'm going to Southampton away, so looking forward to that on Boxing Day. Uh, going to try to get to Charlton. Uh, I don't know how easy it is going to going to be to get tickets. I imagine it's going to be quite popular at uh, the first game back after the winter break. So, um, yeah, looking forward to more football um, and and more good times under. The Godfather that is uh, Roberto De Zerbi. Mm, very well put, Joe. Very well put. As ever, guys, please leave your thoughts in the comments section down below. What did you make of the Arsenal game? Were you surprised by the lack of inclusion of Tarek Lamptey and uh, Jeremy Sarmiento in the starting eleven against Villa? What did you make of the penalty decisions or the lack of penalty decisions that happened yesterday? And what did you make of Chris Kavanagh and the officials' performance? Are we just blaming the officials for our poor performance or do you think we're on to something? Now, and, Joe... download, and download the app Parlay, P-R-L-Y, sports. Link in the description. It's a great app. Download it now. Do what Joe says. And Joe, we've um we've got some exciting content coming over out over the winter break. Uh we have a an interview with a former out well an Albion legend. An Albion legend. We're not gonna give anything away now, but that's really exciting. Oh, but we've we've already announced it on Twitter, Tom. Oh, it's God no secret. Sake, Joe. Yeah, this we're talking no to he shoots, he scored. It must be Peter Ward. So yeah, we'll be chatting to him. Well, we'll be chatting to him tomorrow. Um, and that will be released at some point in the near future. Um, so don't forget to check that out. In the meantime, guys, yeah. though, don't forget to like, share and subscribe for more content if you haven't done so already. Wherever you may be, whenever you may be. We'll see you next time. Take care.